It's the story of an American held in a dark Venezuelan prison. Then all of a sudden, they all kind of lined up. They pointed their guns at me. And this is the point where I thought, I'm going to die today. I'm Becky Bruce. I spent a year working on Hope in Darkness, which now has more than 2 million downloads. Find it on kslpodcast.com or wherever you listen to podcasts. Good morning. Thank you for spending your Saturday morning with the KSL Greenhouse. Maria Shaleos. I don't know my name anymore. It's been a long week with elections, Ton. Maria Shaleos, Ton Bettis with you this morning. We are taking your calls, 801-575-8255. Phone lines are open. You can also text us your questions, 57500. Our next texter, Ton, says they have small lilac sprouts coming up near their established ones. Can they transplant those? And if so, is now a good time or is spring better? Spring would be better. And if they can dig those without damaging the main root system very much, absolutely. They can move them. And they will come up just as lovely as the regular plant? Well, depending on if the lilac is grafted, Hmm. it would come up as something different, but it doesn't mean it won't be pretty. Right. So. This was one of one of my thoughts, too, but because, you know, I have to redo the whole front of my yard. And I do have a nice lilac bush that has some sprouts coming up. I think I'm thinking, oh, maybe I could save that, but it might not be worth it, right? It may not. I, a lot of times those sprouts will take five to ten years before they really start to blossom. Oh. But if you want to move when you can. The other thing with lilacs is it seems like after about 20 to 25 years, they start to get diseases in the roots. Hmm. And I would hate to move those to a new spot if the lilacs were that old because they may, you may just be moving a troubled plant. Mm-hmm. And so for the 9 or 10 or $11 it would cost if you know of a lilac that you like or if you need a dwarf one or some of the new ones are, when I say ever blooming, you've got to take that. It's not really that it's just going to be this absolute gorgeous lilac show, but they are more like a rose to where you get lilac flowers sporadically through the summer. Mm. And so there are a lot of newer lilacs that you could look at and put in. But if the plants are healthy, yeah, you can move them. It's fine. I think uh, about a quarter of the plants in my yard are still plants that I took transplants from my mother's or grandmother's yard. Well, there's a whole culture that... I think in the 80s and 90s kind of went away. It didn't totally, but with mainstream gardeners, because it is so easy to purchase. But if you lived in 1915, 1920, even during World War II, a lot of times if you needed a new tree or a new bush, a neighbor might have a start of one, like the lilac or a privet, mm-hmm. and you just walk over and grab three or four off their plants, plant them in your yard, and let them get established. And so garden centers at the time did a lot of the same thing. You know, if you needed ground cover, they would just grow, they would build basically raised beds and grow, a, you know, four or 500 square feet of Creeping Jenny or Vinca. And if you needed it, you would just walk in and say, want so many square feet and they would get a shovel out and dig it out of the raised bed and put it in a cardboard box and you would take it home and hand separate it and plant it. And so it's even at our garden centers, these sort of things were happening until the sixties and seventies and then technology changed and it's just plants became less expensive, easier to propagate. But these techniques have been coming back 
and people are getting more interested in saving money, into doing things on their own, teaching their kids where food and other things actually come from. And so I like this culture of how am I going to grow my own tomatoes or where can I get some free plants from, even though I might have to wait a few years for them to get established. It It's sometimes economically... You're not going to break even, but it still can be fun to do. I think it's wonderful that younger people are really getting into gardening, even if they're doing container gardening because they have small spaces. Yes, and that's the other thing I've been seeing is that the way we teach gardening, I think that there's still a place for row running tomatoes and you know you have your 500 or 1,000 square foot garden out there, mm-hmm. but with homes – going for, you know, starter homes four and $500,000 on a tenth of an acre, you just don't have room. And so we're having to reinvent how we teach gardening because we're now having to teach a lot more container gardening, gardening in small spaces, gardening, you know, in raised beds. And so it's been fun to see how people are innovating to be able to still grow, you know, hundreds of pounds of produce along the side of their driveway, or they took out their park strip and all of a sudden it's a vegetable garden. And so it's been really fun to see how people are innovating to keep these practices alive. Yeah. Those of us who have been gardening for a long time though, I know personally I'm trying to find different things to plant because I get stuck in a rut or I plant the exact same tomatoes and the exact same zucchini, I mean, the exact same vegetables in my garden. And I've just really tried to branch out and kind of find new things that can get me more excited about the foods that I'm eating. Yeah. And there are things, you know, there's a movement right now and it's not really huge. People trying out what we have considered non-hardy fruit, you know, figs and pineapple guavas and just things along those lines that I think are really fun. But even in a couple of weeks, I want to talk about, you know, starting to prepare for spring already and for some educational events that the extension office is doing. I've spent probably a thousand dollars on vegetable seeds and the funnest part of all this has been going through totally tomatoes and Johnny's and burpees mm-hmm. and gurneys and looking at all the different varieties of tomatoes to try to find ones. My goal is just to find productive tomatoes that will grow in smaller spaces. And I've got a lot of my seed in. And yesterday I was going through my seed packets just like they were baseball cards. Oh, wow. And sorting them and... You know, and so there are things you can do, but it's just something that I'm excited about. I've got new tomatoes I want to try. I found an improved celebrity that's not supposed to crack as much. Um, I found another one called Tiny Tim mm-hmm. that I'm going to plant up pretty soon that only get 18 inches high and wide. And you can grow them as a house plant oh. if you have a grow light or a bright window. Mm-hmm. And they give you cherry tomatoes and there's just I there's so many new things out there that really aren't new but new to me that I'm just excited about. Well, the experiment is what makes it, it fun is. a lot of times if you don't if you're not one of those people that take it as a failure if something doesn't work. Yeah, and if it doesn't, I oh, I cannot remember his name, but the owner of an old flower store nursery named the Rose Shop it loves growing palm trees, bananas and any marginally hardy stuff. 
And his word of advice was, I try it three times and I put an honest effort in every time. And after the third time, if it doesn't take, I know that it probably wasn't hardy for my space. Mm -hmm. And so when I tell when people try to garden and it fails and I even have stuff fail still. But I say, you really need to try this at least three times and take notes and talk to people because I'll bet you by that third time it's going to take and it's going to, you're going to succeed. Right. That takes a lot of patience. Though. It does. I'd make it through the second time. I'm not sure about the third time. <laughs> hmm. I'll have to think about that. Yes. I, I planted um, Brussels sprouts one year and the aphids just did me in. Like I, I never planted Brussels sprouts again. Yeah. And I don't blame you. But I'll I'll be quiet. But okay. you don't like Brussels. Sprouts. Well, they're they're okay. I just like no, to I make love, fun of them. I love. Them. But they are. They're one of those plants that I just you, buy them. Yeah, you have to put a low tunnel over them with Rime fabric on top of it, and hope that they didn't already have aphids on them when you plant them, or you plant them from seed. Uh, if people buy Brussels sprouts starts from a garden center, I'll have them spray a horticultural soap on them before they put them under the low tunnels mm-hmm. because the aphids are just so prolific. And the only other option, is, well, there's a few. You can spray horticultural soap every three or four days or you can use a systemic, which people just don't want to do, and I get it. But there are some systemics out there that are registered. And that will keep the aphids completely off. But then you're in the back of your mind is like, I just used a uh, a derivative of nicotine to kill all the aphids and it's inside the plant. Mm. And I do I want to eat that or not? And the science, you know, a lot of scientists say, yeah, it's safe. Go ahead and do that. But it's just one of those things that's always in the back of your mind. It's going to be pretty tough to convince me to yes. ever grow Brussels sprouts again. Um, I wanted to say, though, when we were talking about growing different things, that was the wonderful thing about going up to the demonstration garden and talking with Sheridan Hansen up there at the USU Botanical Center in Kaysville, because we got to see so many different things that you can grow. I'm going to try some of those different eggplants, maybe some of those peppers. And if folks have not seen that video that we did with Sheridan, they can go to the KSL Greenhouse Facebook page and look through our series of videos. Now that it's cold and you're thinking you need something to do in these cold temperatures, hey, go check out some of those videos. You can also, if you don't have Facebook, you can also check them out on the YouTube channel, our YouTube channel, the KSL Greenhouse YouTube channel as well. We're going to take a break, come back with more of your questions and calls. Phone lines are open, 801-575-8255. You can text us, 57500. Two years ago, Americans watched in horror as a crisis unfolded at the Kabul airport. She was tear-gassed and beaten. Images of thousands desperate to escape Taliban oppression filled our news feeds. More than 80,000 Afghans made it to America. But the story didn't end there. It was very cold. There was no power, no heat. Who would help our newest neighbors? I'm Andrea Smartin. In Stranger Becomes Neighbor, you'll hear the stories of some remarkable refugees who left their homes and their dreams behind only to start over from zero. Their only possession was three blankets. And you'll meet Americans who stepped up to help them. You want me to come when you deliver your baby. What can one person do in the face of an international disaster decades in the making? That's Stranger Becomes Neighbor. Find us at kslpodcast.com, follow us on Apple Podcasts, or anywhere else you listen.
good morning. Thank you for joining us for the KSL Greenhouse. Maria and Ton with you. We're taking your calls, 801-575-8255. You can text us at 57500. Next listener, Ton says, is it too late to overseed in small spots? No, the seed won't come up until spring, but they can do it. Uh, next person says they did as instructed, only watered their lawn once a week uh, for a while last summer, and most of it has died in their backyard. Now, they have types of green here and there. What should they do to restore their lawn? Well, I think that the lawn probably went dormant and didn't die. Mm-hmm. And I would wait for May of this coming year and see what greens up because they may be surprised that it mostly comes back. And when they water once a week, what I would be curious about is how deeply that water was going because if it was penetrating six inches to a foot, the it should have browned out maybe a little but mostly kept it alive. And so I imagine for whatever reason they either weren't putting enough water down or the it's heavy clay or really compacted, and the water couldn't penetrate deeply enough in the soil to keep the lawn healthy. Uh, next person says they planted some small mums last fall that grew to an enormous size. They want to know what they should do now. Do they pull them up, cut them back? Uh, they liked them, but uh, wasn't it, they're not too crazy about how big they got. It depends on what they want to do because they have floral mums that are bred to get long stems on them so that they can use them in bouquets. Mm -hmm. So they will eventually get anywhere from four to maybe six feet tall. You can pinch them. And so what you would do with the around the first week of June and the first week of July, give them a haircut where you're just cutting off the tips, the about an inch all the way around to try to keep them more contained, but they're still probably going to get quite big. And it just depends on if that's acceptable or not. If they want to leave them, they could try staking them and see if that hold them up. But I think that without constant maintenance through the summer, that they are going to get tall and then flop over. All right. Let's go to our phone lines. Uh, Nanette is in Orem. Good morning. What is your question? Hey, yes, I have a quaking aspen tree that's probably about 17 years old and we need to get rid of it. But before we do, I've heard that if you do something, you can get rid of the shoots that are all in the lawn as well. Aspens can be a little bit harder sometimes because our root systems are so extensive. But what I would do is get a wood boring bit. And that's more, instead of having the traditional dural bit look, they have a what they call a spoon on the front of it. You've probably seen them, but uh, you would put in a hole at least a half inch wide and drill in on a 45 degree angle every couple inches around the trunk to a depth of probably about an inch. And then you would fill each of those holes up with concentrated lawn weed killer or concentrated roundup. Okay. And you just fill those holes up? Let it soak Mm -hmm. in and hope for the best. Okay. And then you Thanks. what you would do then is then cut the tree down in the spring and so that there's plenty of time for that uh, plant poison to just work its way through, way through the roots. But I will say is you may go to local retailers and they'll try to sell you a product called Tordon. Do not do it. It will be bad. So you always use Lawnweed Killer or a glyphosate product. Uh, gly- say that word again, glyphosate? glyphosate. That's just glyphosate is the active in Roundup. So kills okay. all, and there's a number of them out there. If you can't find it, just a lawn weed killer would work too. Okay. 
And and tell me again, it's a half, half inch wide, forty five degree angle. About an inch deep, yeah. And you're just trying to give yourself room to get enough of that lawn weed killer in there. And so you could go a little deeper, but the conductive tissue is on the outer third of an inch or so of the tree. And if you drill into heartwood, it's not really going to be, you don't have to go clear through the tree. And so, yeah, you're just using that. And then if you needed to, you could go to the dollar store and get a funnel and just use a funnel to get it into those holes so it doesn't spill all over. And then just save that funnel for pesticide use or wash it and dispose of it. Right. Okay. Thank you. You're right. welcome. Thanks for your call this morning. Uh, next listener, Ton, says uh, because of the warm fall, the leaves on their tree never did turn the usual yellow. The leaves then just all fell off overnight, but they were still green. And they're wondering if that's bad for the tree. No, it's just that it got cold and it the tree didn't have an opportunity to draw a lot of the things in the leaves into the roots that it would store. And so if the leaves fell off, that's always a good sign. If you have leaves that don't fall off limbs, that's not great. There are some trees that have a tendency to hold their leaves until spring sycamore and some of the oaks, but the uh, uh, trees that, normally would drop in the fall honey locust asp and things of that nature if they don't that may mean that the branches are dead oh that happened to my oak okay uh ed is in orem listening in orem uh he wants to know can he leave his carrots and leeks in the ground even though the weather has turned cold yes he just needs to cover them with six inches to a foot of leaves or straw and just put that over the top so that the ground doesn't freeze and when he wants them he can just go out and dig those carrots out and then just put the straw back oh, good to protect you. them. Well, they, they'll just continue to grow or they'll uh, just, they're they just actually, kind of stored, they, right? They're just stored. It's almost like putting them in the refrigerator uh-huh. near freezing, but in the ground, they seem to sweeten up a little bit with the colder weather. Oh, I had no idea. Obviously I've not planted carrots or leeks. Well, the leeks, I don't know that he's even going to need to cover, but putting the straw over them will kind of help know where they're at Mm -hmm. and, or the leaves, and then he can just cut those as he needs them. Okay. Uh, I reached the end of my questions. So I want to go back to the the talk about um, leaves not falling off the branches. You mentioned that there are some trees that they fall later in the season. They do. And so sycamore, I mentioned those, and it's mainly sycamore and orum that we've been having problems with because they sometimes won't drop their leaves until March or April of the next year. Uh, Oak trees, uh, certain species, oaks have a tendency to hold onto their leaves but they will uh, sometimes drop too or just drop sporadically through the winter. Mm -hmm. And so it doesn't necessarily, like three or four years ago, we had that really hard freeze in late September and no trees had opportunity to drop their leaves. And And because the trees hadn't gone through the physiological processes of drying down the nutrients from the leaves and then forming that abscission layer, the leaves just throw to the, to the tree. And the next year, a lot of them had to bud out from dormant buds that are, you know, that's plan B and plan C if stuff, stuff like that happens. But if you have a tree and all the leaves have dropped except for from one or two limbs, 
a lot of times those limbs are either half dead or all dead because the tree couldn't form that abscission layer. It didn't. And because those leaves dropping are a physiological process. All right. We're going to take a break for the top of the hour news. Number to call with your questions, 801-575-8255. You can text us at 57500. When we come back, we're going to talk about how to construct a raised bed in your garden. Stay with us for more on the KSL Greenhouse Show. I'm Dave Cauley, investigative journalist and host of the podcast, Cold. In October of 1985, a woman named Cherie Warren left work at a busy Salt Lake City office. To meet her estranged husband at a downtown auto dealership. She never made it home. Cherie's car surfaced weeks later in Las Vegas. In the parking lot of a hotel casino. No one knows how it got there. Strange. It was strange. Both Cherie's estranged husband and her boyfriend raised suspicion for investigators. I kind of thought that he might have done something. But no arrests were ever made. In Cold Season 3, we dig into double lives, make new connections in the case, and examine the difficulty raised by reasonable doubt. We want answers just as much as anyone else. They have creeps like that now, too, so nothing's changed. That's the new Cold Season 3, The Search for Cherie. Now available anywhere you get your podcasts.